You're listening to Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. We're diving into a new series out of 2 Peter. 2 Peter is a warning to Christians to be aware of false teachers and the destruction it can cause. We hope that today's message is inspiring and challenges you to take your next steps in your walk with Christ. Now let's check out today's message. Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Everybody at Blue Springs right here in Lee Summit and online, whether you're worshiping with us from home, we're thankful that you're here. We're starting a brand new series out of 2 Peter today, so you're here at a great time because we're going to be getting into the Word of God line by line this summer over the next eight weeks, studying this little book of 2 Peter, just three chapters, but in that little book, so much power is packed. Let's give it up right now for all of the dads in the house. Man, I'm so thankful for each of you on this special day to recognize fathers. I'm thankful I had a godly father. And uh, just recently, my sister sent me a picture, going through some old pictures. I don't know that I've ever seen this one, but this has become one of my new favorite pictures of my dad. And uh, it kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of how blessed I was to have the dad that I had and that I still have. That's three of his five kids on his back, one of which is me. If you can't tell which one it is, I'm in the middle. And uh, I had a dad that was just uh, honestly godly and gracious and generous and compassionate, hardworking, so blessed for so many reasons to have been raised in his house by a godly, godly father that had so much in shaping who I am and what I believe about God. You understand that I'm convinced Satan hates dads. I'll tell you why I'm convinced Satan hates fathers. Because children, from the earliest moments they are born, begin shaping their view of God by their view of their father. And that's why I'm convinced dads have such an important role in the home. Because people grow up and have a view of God based on the relationship they had so many times with their father. And that's why I'm convinced there really is a satanic, right out of the pit of hell, war on fathers. For all the social issues that we're facing right now as a nation, of which there are many, there is one that almost nobody talks about. And one of the biggest problems we face is a 41% fatherless rate in America. In some communities in our society, 71% of American children are not being raised by their father. And I'm convinced a lot of the chaos we're now seeing goes right back to the erosion of the family where there is no father because Satan knows that for many kids, dad is destiny. And that is the very reason that Peter is now writing. He wants us to have a right view of our Father, a right view of God. And uh, I'm personally convinced that I began to have a right view of God based on who my dad was. Like, I have a super compassionate dad. But it didn't take long growing up in his home that I learned the same hand of compassion is the same hand that could bring down the rod of discipline. I had a healthy view of my dad, a healthy fear of my father. Never doubted his love for me, but I had a healthy fear of my father. And I'm convinced one of the problems in American society is we have lost the fear of God. No fear of the father. And we need to get back that fear and awe of God again. And it begins, gentlemen, with you and me. Our relationship with our kids will directly define, in many cases, the relationship that they will grow up to have with God clear into their adulthood. This is why Peter is now writing, as a spiritual father, 
As a spiritual father, Peter is writing this letter that we might grow in the knowledge of God, our Father. That's why he's writing 2 Peter. Now, as we get going, anytime we study a book of the Bible, that's what we like to do at Abundant Life. We like to take a book and begin studying it line by line, verse by verse. As you learn the Word of God, you grow up then in your walk with God. And so we like to just stay in the Word of God together. And I want you to see that Peter is now writing as a spiritual father for this reason, that we might grow up to have a right view of God, our Father. And we're going to see something. He, he talks about something in the first four verses here. He talks about having the knowledge of God. Now, did you know there is a difference between having the knowledge of God and having the knowledge about God? See, they're not the same thing. He doesn't say to have knowledge about God. He says to have the knowledge of God. And uh, you can know about God, but not really know God. Uh, you, you can know a lot of facts about him without ever having really met him and really, really knowing him. And part of the problem, I think, in church life historically is we teach kids a lot of facts about God, and they grow up and still don't really know God. That's the problem. And we approach the Word of God, the Bible, kind of as an academic pursuit. It's just intellectual, all right? Here, here's the problem. The Bible is more than God's biography. Uh, my son, who lives down in Texas, my oldest son lives in Austin. He's lived there about a year now. And so uh, he's doing a little, you know, kind of assimilating into, you know, Texas, I guess, culture. If you're from Texas, uh, you know, I don't have to explain that to you. It's like Texas, there's no other country. You know what I'm saying? And so he's just doing a little bit of history into Texas. You know, if, you, if you're not from Texas and you move there and people ask you, well, are you from Texas? I mean, the standard answer is no, but I got here as fast as I could. Okay? So he, he read this book and he sent it to me. It was called Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. And guys, I love history. I'm telling you, one of the most entertaining books I've read recently is a book that he sent me, Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. It was a biography of Sam Houston. As I read this book, guess what? I learned a lot about this man, Sam Houston, from which the city of Houston is now named. But here's the point. I don't know him. I've never met him. I know more about him. You see, we cannot pursue our, our biblical lesson and training and reading and study as though it's some biography. That is no guarantee you're going to grow to know God. Peter wants us to grow up to really know him, not just know about him. And that's not a matter of the head. It's always a matter of the heart. And as, and as fathers, listen, it is not enough to just teach our children facts about God. It's about shepherding their heart and shaping their heart for God. Not just so they would grow up and know a lot about God. And that's what Peter is now doing as a spiritual father. He says these words beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now anytime you start a brand new study of any book of the Bible, you need to do a little historical background study. Uh, who is the author, to whom was they writing, and uh, what are the main themes they're writing about, and what was going on historically at the time. And so you begin answering just basic questions. Who's the author? Who's the author, church? Boy, that's deep. We're going deep, aren't we? Now here, I, I just stopped there because if you actually do a little background study of Second Peter, what you'll find is the world of academia today loves to try to discredit the Bible and prove to you the Bible's not reliable or is not historical. And Second Peter is kind of controversial. There's a lot of academics who want to say, well, Peter's not the real author. Second Peter is a forgery. 
And uh, the reason why, historically, is in the first century, there were lots of false teachers, false apostles that were writing letters, and then they would forge that letter by forging one of the apostles' names on it. And so there was a lot of letters floating around in the early days of Christianity that had been forged in Peter's name. And so a lot of people like to say, well, 2 Peter's one of those forgeries. But there's a reason the early church understood that it was truly authentic, that it was from Peter. I don't have time to go into all the you know, scholastic debate about it. Suffice it to say, I'm convinced, as many others have been in 2,000 years of church history, that this really is a letter from the real Apostle Peter, and you don't have to worry about it being a forgery, all right? This is the same Peter that followed Jesus for three and a half years. This is the same Peter that denied knowing Jesus three times on the night of his arrest. This is the same Peter that preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved. He introduces himself now to the readers as Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now this right here amazes me. Can I tell you why? Because if you know anything about Peter in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that this Peter is not that same Peter. This Peter has changed. I mean, he has grown up spiritually. Peter, while he was following Jesus in three and a half years, as recorded in the Gospels, Peter was a proud man. I mean, Peter was a cocky, arrogant dude, all right? Peter's a guy you might not have liked had you known him personally. I'm just being honest. He, he was kind of cocky. He was proud. I mean, he was a little bit arrogant. He was the one that was always speaking up first and usually putting his foot in his mouth and uh, just a little bit pompous and proud. Right? He, he really was. Right? He was that guy, but he's not that guy now. If he was still that guy, he would not be introducing himself as Peter, a doulos in the Greek or a bondservant of God. He'd be introducing himself as Peter. Hey, guys, I'm Peter. You remember, I'm the guy that preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved. Yes, that's me. He'd be like, hey, guys, I'm Peter. You remember in Acts chapter 3 how I saw that lame man? He couldn't walk, and he couldn't walk from birth, and I healed him on the steps of the temple. Remember that killer line I had? Hey, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I freely give thee. Arise and walk, and bam, he walked. That was me. Yeah, he'd be doing a victory lap. That, that was Peter. But that's not him now. He doesn't begin by telling him, hey, I'm an apostle. Yeah, I, I, I'm one of the pillars of the church. No, he begins by introducing himself as a doulos, a bond servant. This word is often translated as slave, a bond slave. You see, he doesn't first talk about his title of authority. He talks about this title, this position of humility, that I am a meek and lowly servant of God. Doulos was a bond slave. In the ancient days, listen, a bond slave is one who willingly, not because they were forced to, but because they chose to serve another. We normally think of slavery as something of uh, depravity and, and this servitude, this forced servitude. And historically, in Western civilization, that's the type of slavery, that's the dark stain on American history. But this is a different thing altogether. In the ancient days, you could choose to, not because you were forced to, serve another. And he became your master. And you gave up all rights to your life. It was often done with those who were bankrupt. 
and they would sell themselves into servitude of a family that was wealthy rather than let their children go hungry. And by law, they would serve that person for seven years, and then they were 100% free to go. But oftentimes, they would choose to stay because they'd become a member of that family, and because they had a love relationship with that family, they would choose to stay, and they would become a doulos, a lifelong bond slave. Not because they had to stay, but because they wanted to stay. You see, that's a picture of the Christian life. Did you know that Jesus does not have a two-by-four in heaven waiting to whack you on top of the head to make you follow him? No, if you follow him and serve him, you do it of your own free will. As a doulos of God, we give up all rights to our life and give up all rights and give those rights to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. But then he says, an apostle. Who were the apostles? Well, the apostles were the men that God delivered what we now call New Testament revelation. The 27 books of the New Testament, they came through the pen of the apostles. And not just anybody could be an apostle. Peter gave the criteria of an apostle at the end of Acts chapter 1. Very clearly, he said, someone who physically, literally saw Jesus at his baptism, walked with him as an eyewitness, all those three and a half years clear up into his ascension. There was the criteria, the credentials to be an apostle. And that's important because we live at a time where people today claim to be an apostle. For all that's changed, how much has stayed exactly the same? And he gives us in chapter 1 the foundation of our faith. In chapter 2, we're going to see the foes of our faith as he deals specifically with false teachers, false apostles, false preachers. And it's really important. You can tell the difference. And did you know there's a test of an apostle? Not just anybody could be. Peter qualified, obviously, because he was there the entire three and a half years following Jesus. Now look at who it's to. Who's the audience? To those who have obtained like precious faith. He's writing it to all people of faith that have obtained like precious faith. That's every man, every woman, every Christian from every generation. This is an open letter to every Christian from every generation that's obtained like precious faith with us. The apostles, get a hold of this. Your faith, Peter is saying, is equal to his faith. Your faith is equal and on the same par as the apostles' faith. We've obtained like precious faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not something we did for ourselves, not something we got for ourselves. It is by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that sinless one who died for the sinful ones, that righteous one who died for the unrighteous. I want you to see, as a spiritual father, Peter is writing his letter as his last words to those who have obtained like precious faith. Now, it amazes me, Peter, if you know anything about Peter, here is a rough commercial fisherman. I've been around some commercial fishermen. They don't use terms like precious. Twice in the first four verses, he uses the term precious. Like precious faith, he's going to tell us about precious promises. Now, when I think of the term precious, I think of my grandma on Christmas because it didn't matter what she opened. It was always, oh, it's precious. <laughs> this is a strange term for Peter. I mean, he's a machismo, commercial fisherman, but he's grown up spiritually, and there's some things now that are precious to him. I mean, precious, this is like, you know, you, you meet somebody's brand new baby for the first time. And it doesn't matter what they look like. They could look like a little swollen up prune. 
the little shriveled up raisin. Oh, she's precious. And the whole time you're thinking, that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my life. Precious. I mean, precious is a good term for a lot of things, isn't it? But in this case, listen, Peter said, hey, he has realized that faith is a precious thing. This word precious is a Greek word, comes from the word pricey. He's saying our faith is pricey. It is priceless. Why? Because we have been bought with the precious, priceless blood of Christ. And now as a spiritual father, these are literally his last words. He's writing Second Peter to his spiritual sons and daughters, you and I, because he knows he's about to die. He's about to be martyred for his faith. And 2 Peter is literally his last words, last thing he's ever going to say before he dies. And he knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to go before Nero. He knows he's going to be sentenced to death. It might just be days or weeks away. Let me ask you, gentlemen, those of you that are fathers, if you knew tomorrow you were going to die, what would you tell your children today? You need to think about things like that. You need to live every day with the end in view. If you knew that tomorrow was gonna be your last day, what are the things that you would say today? That's what Peter's doing. What are the things I would say today knowing that tomorrow might be my last day? And can I just challenge you to do this? Start saying every day to your children the things you would say if it was your last day. Don't wait till it's your last day. Say it today and then say it every day in some kind of way. Son, I am so proud of you. Honey, I, I love you. The things your children long to hear you say. Don't wait till the last day. Peter's now writing a letter, literally, to his spiritual sons and daughters. You know what I, I got in the habit of doing when my kids were growing up and about the time they hit middle school? I started writing them letters. And I would write them letters at pivotal moments in their life when they were going to middle school and then when they were going to high school and when they graduated high school and then on the night before uh, my oldest two were married, I gave both of them letters, words of wisdom, things I wanted them to remember. Now you can say those things and that's powerful, but listen, when you put pen to paper, it is there to stay. That's what's powerful when you put pen to paper. Because it lasts for generations, your children and their children and their children. You're leaving a godly legacy. You are writing a godly family tree. You see, that is what Peter's now doing. He's put pen to paper, and because of that, we're studying it now generations later. As his last words, this is what he said in verse 13. He said, yes, I think it is right. As long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me in John chapter 21, John predicted, uh, Jesus predicted how he would die. He says, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So now you know why Peter's writing. He wants us to have a reminder of very important things after his decease. He knows he's about to put off his tent. The tent in the New Testament is a euphemism. It's a metaphor of our bodies. Our physical bodies are called tents. You know why? Because we all know a tent is not something you intend to live in for very long. If you've ever been tent camping, and there's some things, you know, when my kids were small that we would start doing together as a family. We had a tradition every summer we would go camping and we would go tent camping. And after three or four years of doing that, I realized I am just a better dad when we go cabin camping. 
I suddenly just become a better dad the next day. Because if you've ever tent camped, I don't know what your experience has been, but honestly, it was never that great experience for me. You get out there, and it's 95 degrees outside, about 95 degree humidity, and you don't do it enough to get, really get good at it, so you don't really know how to put your tent together. So three hours later, you finally got your tent put together, and you are dripping in sweat. Are we having fun yet? You better have fun. You had better have fun. All right. Oh, we're having fun now, aren't we? You know, and then you lay down, it's finally nighttime, you're exhausted, but you can't sleep. Because now it's 90 degree heat, and it's only 85% humidity, and you're laying there on this, you know, air mattress that is leaking. So in the middle of the night, you become like the taco, you're in the middle of it, all right? It's like, and then the sun comes up at 4.30, you're exhausted. Yeah, now you know why, I'm just a better dad when I cabin camp, okay? I am. I, I remember laying there at night a couple of times going, God, I am so thankful I don't live in one of these. <laughs> I am so thankful. I am going home tomorrow to a house with AC, a real bed, and a hot shower. Glad I don't have to live in a tent. Here's the point. Tents are not meant to live in. Nobody pitches a tent and thinks, this is my permanent dwelling place. Uh, a, a, a tent is something you don't plan on staying in very long. That's what Peter's saying. For all the attention we give our physical bodies, they're just a tent. And one day, they're going to give up. They're going to give in. You understand that? The, the tent pegs are going to start pulling up. And, uh, you know, the seams are going to start to fray. The tent's going to start to sag. That's just what happens to the tent over time. Like, I... I literally fought for a decade wearing readers. I just wasn't going to go along with it. I wasn't going to participate in the whole aging thing. All right. I just want to say I have finally surrendered. We're the cheaters, okay? Don't wait as long as I did. I'm to the point now where I embarrass my kids in restaurants because, you know, the lighting is always dim. Cannot read the menu. Pull out your phone, turn the light on, read your menu, embarrass your kids. Why? Because, hey, the tent wears out. That's just what happens. You can delay it, but you can't stop it. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. All right, Romans 5, 12. As by one man's sin that's Adam, death entered the world, so death passed on all men for all have sinned. One day these bodies are going to wear out. Why do we live as if this life is all that is, as if this life is all that matters? One day this tent is going to wear out, but that is not the end. It is only the beginning. Do you understand that one day you're going to leave this tent, but it's not over. It is just getting started. Do you know your destiny when you open your eyes one day in eternity? If you have not placed your faith in what Jesus did at Calvary, you're not ready. And the number one thing we can do as fathers, listen carefully, is to prepare our children not just to succeed in this life, but in the life that is yet to come. Set so The devil does not care how many home runs he hits this year. The devil does not care how many first place ribbons she wins this year. The devil does not care how many plastic playhouses you buy them. The devil cares about one thing, keeping them from knowing God as their father through the son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And fathers, that is our number one responsibility. That is what Peter is now doing. That's what he's writing. He's writing to prepare us. 
Now, as we were sitting around as a pastoral staff, and we talked about this concept of Peter putting off his tent, an idea was born in our hearts. Hey, why don't we go camping in Colorado? So about three days later, we were driving out to Colorado to go camping together. Now, in full disclosure, in full disclosure, we pitched the tent, and then we went and stayed in a cabin. In full disclosure. And uh, you know what? Because of that, I was a better pastor. <laughs> but one thing I know, when you, know, when you do things like this, you really get to know people. You go on a road trip with them, and, and you spend that quality time, this, in this case, in the mountains together, hiking together, hanging out together. You really get to know them. This is what Peter wants us to do, to really get to know, not just about God, but really get to know God, the knowledge of God. I can tell you, I knew a lot about these guys. Chad Glover, our teaching pastor, and Steve Brown, our, our Blue Springs campus pastor. Shout out in Blue Springs. Give it up for him. Uh, we got Tim Holman, who's part of our family ministry. Mac Bowley's our videographer. He was there. And we did eight different devotions while we were there to go with the eight different sermons that we're going to use through this series. So we're going to post those online a Thursday before the Sunday for every single text. A little five, six-minute teaching video to prepare you for what you're going to learn and what you're going to hear on that given Sunday. And we started that this week. But one thing I, th I thought about, listen, th this is why Peter is writing this letter, to have the knowledge of God, not just knowledge about God. Hey, I had the knowledge of these guys before we went. Now I really know these guys because we went. Like, I can tell you who else besides me has a serious addiction to boom chicka pop. <laughs> Kettle corn. Like, I don't go on a road trip without boom chicka pop. Kettle corn. I thought I was the only one. I brought two bags, one for the road there, one for the road home. By the time we got there, both bags were gone. <laughs> but I didn't do it alone. Chad Glover loves Boom Chicka Pop. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, I can tell you now who the insomniac is who hardly slept at all. I can tell you now who doesn't have any problem sleeping because he snored all night long too. <laughs> Bless his wife. I can tell you who secretly in another life wishes they were a barista. Like, I am not a coffee connoisseur, though I drink coffee. I've never had a bad cup of coffee. Tim Holman, on the other hand, is a coffee connoisseur. We found this little coffee shop in this little southern Colorado mountain town, and the barista was actually from Kansas City. So we connected with him, and we had coffee there every morning. And Tim Holman, the day we are driving to the Royal Gorge chose to stay behind all day in the coffee shop with the barista. By the way, the barista was a he, not a she, don't worry. But I'm telling you, it was the biggest man crush I'd ever seen. I mean, really. I'm telling you, you get to know people when you do these things. Let me ask you, how well do you know Jesus? I don't mean just know about him, like I've read the biography, I mean, do you really know him? And this is what Peter is writing for. He wants us to really know God. Peter wants us to spend time with God to get to know God so that we grow to become like God. That's the goal of 2 Peter. He wants you to grow spiritually to become like your God uh, Father in heaven. 
He, he wants you to know him, to become like him. That is God's goal for your life. You understand that, right? That was God's goal from the moment he created Adam and put him in a garden. Remember what God said in Genesis 1:26: let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And then he told Adam, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. What was Adam's commission? Not to put, uh, not to reproduce sons and daughters of Adam, but he was to reproduce sons and daughters of God. He was to reproduce the image of God and the likeness of God in his offspring. That was God's purpose for the sons of Adam and the daughters of Adam all along that he would reproduce his image all over the earth. But you understand, when Adam sinned, he could no longer reproduce sons of God. He can only now reproduce sons of fallen men. Genesis 5.3, and Adam begat a son that was Seth in his own image, in his own likeness. You see, he could no longer reproduce the image and likeness of God. That is why Jesus said, you must be born again because you came into this world physically alive but spiritually dead you did not have what God's intent for you was the image and likeness of God it has now been skewed and distorted by sin but Jesus said in John 3 you must be born again and when you put your faith in him and you trust in him you get back everything Adam lost in the garden you are born spiritually and you get back the image of God you get back the title son of God you enter in then to the kingdom of God you get a brand new father and you get a brand new family and everything God would have done for the first Adam he is now doing through the last Adam 1 Corinthians 15 45 whose name is Jesus but you understand the goal is not just to be born spiritually God's goal is now that you would grow spiritually hey I didn't mind tying my children's shoes for them when they were two but if my son, who's 22, every time he leaves the house, says, Dad, can you come tie my shoes? Son, you're 22. I mean, I got to tie your shoes at 22. We got a problem. See, he wants you to grow spiritually. God doesn't mind if, if you're new in the Christian faith and you're in a place of spiritual infancy, but now the, the goal is to grow up spiritually, to grow to maturity. No, I'm not going to tie your shoe. You're big enough to do that now. That's what Peter's writing. He wants us to grow up to be like God. How do we do that? Number one, you grow in God's power through knowing God's Son. And we're going to see chapter one, Peter's laying the foundation of our faith. And we're going to see next time how he's going to say there's seven things to add to your faith. Seven character qualities that starts to be the metric of spiritual maturity. Now, you can't grow in what you don't know. So here he's laying the foundation of faith. Chapter two is going to be the foes of our faith. Chapter three is going to be the future of our faith. And I want you to see that you grow in God's power as you get to know God's Son. He says these words in verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Look, twice he uses this term, knowledge of God, knowledge of him. Remember, not knowledge about God. We've talked about that. It's knowledge of God. They're not the same thing. The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power 
has given to us all things that pertain to life and godly. I hear people say, Pastor Phil, I just can't do this. I've tried following Jesus. I've tried to live the Christian life. I mean, I've tried to stop doing this. I've tried to stop doing this. I've tried to stop doing this. Right, there's the problem. Do you understand the Christian life is not merely about avoiding evil? Well, if I just avoid temptation, I avoid doing sin, I avoid making wrong decisions, no, you've got it all wrong. Listen carefully, the goal of Christianity is not sinlessness, it's godliness. Stop simply trying to avoid sin and start purposely pursuing him. Then you become more like him and you naturally stop the sin. This is what he's saying here. Listen, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, life as in eternal life, like you're going to live forever because you've been delivered from sin's penalty. But not only have you been delivered from sin's penalty, you've been delivered from sin's power. So that you no longer have to sin. Not that you won't sin or can't sin, but you don't have to sin. You can live a life that is godly to become increasingly like him because you were given divine power and that power is a person. Listen, the moment you receive by faith the Son of God, you also receive the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is the power of God to do the things you couldn't naturally do. It is not natural in you, but the supernatural you that lives in you. He's given you divine power. You guys know what the word divine means, right? Everybody say God. God lives in you. That ought to change you. I mean, you can't be the same old you if God lives in you. Anybody listening? You guys are with me, right? I mean, this ought to change how we live and how we view, right? God lives in us now as children of God. The Spirit of God came to live inside of us. The power of God is already in us to overcome the natural self so that we can start living in the supernatural self. You've got divine power living in you that pertains to all things in life and godliness, problem is some of you don't know those things. You didn't know you got those things. Uh, my dad, who's um, a little bit older than I am, he's got a flip phone. I wish I had a flip phone sometimes. How about you? I, I got, on the other hand, a smartphone. It's an iPhone 6. What is it up to now? 11? Okay. 27? It will be soon. I've had this thing for years, but it's such a scam, I refuse to buy a new one, okay? Here's what, here's what I noticed, though, about this phone. For, you know, the first year I had it, it might as well have been a flip phone. I mean, it had all these things, but I didn't know about all these things. I remember, you know, I'd have a conversation, and I'd say to somebody, like, seriously? And the next thing I knew, my phone was talking to me. <laughs> And it's kept happening. Seriously? Next thing I know, the phone is talking to me. She's listening to me. And then somebody, my son said, oh, Dad, that's Siri. Siri. Siri's awesome, isn't she? I mean, she knows almost everything. And I remember, you know, when I discovered my flashlight for the first time, it was awesome. I needed a light. My, my son said, Dad, you have a light. Pull out your phone. Here, I'll show you. Whoa! Did you know? I remember the first time I found the compass it's amazing. 
Hey, the first time I, I had this app called Maps. Yeah, no more Map Blast. No more pulling out the six-foot by 10-foot map, driving down the road at 70 miles an hour. You've got somebody tell you where to go, when to turn. It's amazing. Did you know? Listen, you've got all this power walking around with you, and if you were like me, you didn't even know. You started discovering it kind of gradually. I remember the first time I found not just the compass. Man, I had a calculator. It's got all this stuff. It still has more stuff. I don't even know. I guarantee. Do you understand? That's what Peter's saying. You have got all things, but some of you don't know about most of those things. you got all these things that pertain to life and godliness so that you can completely succeed, not just in this life, but the one that is yet to come. Jesus said, I've come, you may have life and have it more abundantly, but some of us are not living life abundantly. We're living in mediocrity and complacency, and in some cases, complete captivity. And Peter's trying to tell us, listen, you grow in divine power by getting to know deeper a person. You grow in God's spirit as you surrender your life increasingly to God's son. That's what's called the spirit-filled life. All of a sudden, you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit instead of the power of self. Now, he goes on. Listen, you grow in God's nature through knowing God's word. See, he's laying the foundation of our faith in chapter 1. Your faith must be founded in God's son and God's word. Those are the two things. And you cannot separate the two. God's word and God's son, they are one. You remember John 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you understand that the Word of God is the Son of God, the Bible is the written Word, and Jesus is the living Word, and you cannot grow in your knowledge of the Son of God if you are not growing in your knowledge of the Word of God? Now, it's not like, read this like a biography, I told you, I recently read Sam Houston's biography. I know a lot more about him, but I do not know him. I have never met him. You see, that's a lot of church people. You know a lot about God because you got the biography. But the word of God is written that you might know God, not just know about him. You see, now Peter's writing. He says, look, your faith must be founded in the Son of God. It must be founded in the Word of God. We live at a time where people go on feelings. Well, I feel this, or I feel this, or I feel this. Don't take this the wrong way, but who cares? Your feelings do not define reality. This is reality. And until this becomes reality, you will be easily deceived by the enemy. See, Peter's going to go. All of chapter 2 is about the foes of the faith, false teachers, false prophets, false preachers. Listen, we live at a time of Christianity where deception and distortion is everywhere, not unlike the first century, which is why Peter was writing. Second Peter, to prepare us to grow up to maturity so we won't be easily deceived by the false teaching and what falls under the banner of Christianity. And if your faith is founded in God's word, you won't be deceived. Some of us here are candidates for a cult. You know why? Because you don't know what God has said. You're easily led. 
And that's why he's now writing, and this is what he's now saying. Look at this in verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. There's that term again. The precious promises of God's word. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Listen, pollution is something on the outside, but corruption is something on the inside. You know what Peter's teaching? We don't just need to be delivered from what we do. We need to be delivered from what we am. I do what I do because I is what I is. And Peter's saying, listen, it's not just enough as a Christian to try to somehow isolate yourself from all the pollution. We need to be delivered from the inner corruption. And that's what happened when you came to Christ and you were, as Jesus said, born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see, God overcame that corruption in you by beginning a brand new work in you. There's now a new creation inside of you so that you now have a brand new nature, not merely Adam's fallen nature that you inherited from your earthly father through that fallen seed. You now have been born again of Genesis 3.15, that seed of the woman that bruised the head of the serpent. I'm talking about the virgin-born son of God who now lives in you. That seed is in you. You have a divine nature. You don't just have divine power. You've got divine nature. You've got spiritual DNA, the DNA of your heavenly father so that you can now live like God and become like God. You see, you were born the first time physically of corrupted seed. Adam was to take that seed into his intimate relationship with his bride Eve, and with that seed, it was meant to give life to his offspring, but because of his sin, that that seed was corrupted, so now his offspring was not given life, but rather death, Romans 6, 23, but when you're born again, you're born of incorruptible seed, 1 Peter 1, 23, being born again, not of corrupted seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Oh my goodness, this stuff just, <sighs> praise God by ourself. This stuff, it's just awesome. I mean, it's exciting. Don't do this today. When you go to your Father's Day lunch, Father's Day celebration, don't say, Dad, did you know that I was born the first time of corruptible seed? Thank you. You did this to me. No, don't go there. It'll ruin the moment. And he couldn't help it. You know why? Because he got it from his father, and he got it from his father, and he got it from his father. That is why you need to be born again, because you need a new father, a heavenly father, born of his nature, born of his seed, holy and righteous, a new nature, a nature Unlike an earthly nature, a fallen nature, but a new nature that is holy. Let me ask you, have you been born again? I mean, seriously. Has there been a moment in your life that you placed your faith in him? So about 15 years ago, I started kind of a family tradition. We'd go down to the Bennett Springs and we would float the Niangua and go fishing. Guys, I'm telling you, I I tried family devotions. I think they're great, but they didn't work great for me. This is what worked better for me. 
I would do this stuff because I was laying the foundation in my kid's life during these times. They were learning, but didn't know they were learning. I was sharing lessons, and they didn't know they were getting a lesson. We were just doing life. I want you to notice, 15 years ago, we had a good day fishing. My dad snapped this picture. Got my two boys on either side of me. You know, as children, they, they look like their father. I've named this message like father, like son. Your father in heaven wants you to become like him, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. Now you can see they're my sons. They're born of my seed. Blonde hair, blue eyes. If you saw my daughter today, you'd know, well, that's Phil's daughter. She has long, gorgeous, blonde hair. Guess where she got it from? Gave her all I had. I'm not kidding. This little guy here, he's 22 now. He was working at Chick-fil-A for a couple of years, and somebody went through the drive-thru that I have not seen in 25 years, haven't talked to them in 25 years, looks at him and says, are you Phil Hopper's son? He looks a lot like me now. At least how I used to. There's the younger, more handsome version. I want you to know something, 15 years later, in almost exact same spot, this little guy, just a few weeks ago, there we are, that's what he looks like now. I want you to know something, I look almost exactly the same. <laughs> 15 years haven't changed. Him, he's changed a lot. You know why? Because the Father never changes. Work with me here. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. God never changes. God our Father stays the same. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change to become like us. We change to become like Him. See, in 15 years, Josh has grown. God wants you to grow. In 15 years, he's stronger than he has ever been. He's got biceps like the Grand Tetons now. You know why? because I fed him. God wants to feed you. I worked out with him. Guess what? God wants to exercise you and your spiritual muscles so you get stronger than you've ever been. And we know it's true in Peter's life. You know how we know? Because we know how his story ended. 30 years earlier, he denied even knowing Jesus instead of laying down his life for Christ. He chose to save his own skin rather than stand with his friend. But 30 years later, we know, has his life ended, crucified upside down. You see, he grew in God's likeness. And you are never more like God than when you are giving your life for others. That's when you know you are a full-grown man full-grown woman, no longer living the self-life. Now you're living a life for God and others, giving away all that you have for all that matters and the things that last forever. That is our prayer. That is Peter's prayer for each of you and me too. Jesus, I pray that each of us would grow.
that we would take our next steps along the way, that we would never plateau. We would never have a place spiritually of stunted growth. That like Peter one day, we can leave this world with no regret, no retreat, having let it all hang out for Jesus. And close our eyes in time and wake up in eternity, having lived a life that mattered forever. Gentlemen, wherever you are right now, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me at Blue Springs, right here in Lee Summit, right there in your living room. On Father's Day, I wanna commit our life together to being all that God has called us to be, men that give away their life for the sake of their children, their family, and their God. Jesus, thank you for the men that are standing on their feet. Jesus, we are standing because our hearts before you are bowing. And Jesus, we are surrendered as a doulos of God, as Peter said, a bondservant, willingly surrendering our rights, giving all rights to the Lord Jesus Christ to serve you faithfully as Peter did until we see you, sacrificing daily for those that you've called us to lead and to pastor. I pray blessing over these men. I pray blessing over their families, blessing over their children and their children's children and their children, that we will leave a godly legacy, a spiritual family tree that will stretch clear into eternity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you give Jesus the glory with me? Praise Thanks for listening today. Abundant Life's desire is to see lives changed by Jesus. We want to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Stay connected with us by visiting our website, livingproof.co, or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.